Amen. Tonight I want to read uh, from uh, beginning in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read the accounts of three different uh, people and the situations they were facing in the scripture. And then uh, talk to you about the, the common thread between the three of them. Romans chapter 4 tells us the story of Abraham. We'll begin in verse 17. As it is written, this is Paul referring to that which was recorded in the Old Testament concerning God's dealing with Abraham. As it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. One translation says, uh, uh, well, there are several translations that say similar things. But I like one translation that said, who without reason to hope believed. Who without any reason to hope believed. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Here's a story of the woman with issue of blood. Beginning in verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years... And had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, literally it's the word power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Finally, I want to read to you from First Samuel chapter 30. tells us the story of David beginning in verse 1 and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and had smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire Ziklag was the headquarter city that David was using at that point in time and had taken the women captives that were therein they slew not any either great or small but carried them away and went on their way so David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Now all three of these stories have something in common. And that is they were hopeless situations. In uh, Abraham's case, 
it was hopeless for a couple of reasons. One was the fact that he had aged 25 years from age 75 to age 100. When God first appeared to him, he was 75. When God first made the promise about his children, he was 75. And then specifically, over the years, God had made other promises about his descendants and so forth. But at every point in time when God made a promise to him or God revealed to him his plan for his descendants, he was still within childbearing age. His body still functioned in that manner. But now at age 100, God appears to him and talks to him about the child of promise. And he has to do some convincing for Abraham because of the period of time that's delayed or passed. One of the things that... uh, that I've found in dealing with people. I'm, I, uh, well, let me just say it this way. In the early years of, of ministering to people, especially where healing is concerned, I immediately considered their faith and immediately started trying to work on people's faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to receive from God. But I've found some things out over the years. And that is, a lot of times people's faith is not in position to receive. Not because they don't have faith, but because they need their hope restored. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without hope as a foundation, you can't believe. You make the right confessions, but they're not from your heart. Now, Abraham was in a place where God had to restore his hope. If you go back to the Old Testament and read the story of Abraham, you'll find out that when God appeared to him, when he was almost 100 years old, And talk to him about the child of promise. He had to convince Abraham that it was still his plan. Because Abraham at that time had had a son by uh, Hagar. Sarah's handmaid. The son's name was Ishmael. And he just starts talking to God. When God talks to him about the son of promise. Abraham talks back to him about just blessing Ishmael. He's not looking for another son. He thinks this is good enough. God just bless him. And God says, well, I will bless him because he's your son. But that's not the one and never was the one that I had planned. The son that I have planned will be born this time next year and his name is Isaac. And so he has to do some convincing for Abraham. Now it tells us a couple of months later, apparently just prior to Sarah conceiving Isaac, God appears to Abraham again and talks to him about the child of promise, the child that will be born in less than a year's time at that point. And Sarah overhears what God is talking to him about. And she laughs in her heart. And God questions Abraham about Sarah laughing. Now Abraham goes to Sarah and questions her. And says why did you laugh? And she denies it. She says oh, I didn't laugh. But Abraham said basically this. It just doesn't read this way in the King James. But he says something to the fact that God said you laughed, so you laughed. He accepts God's account of it more than hers. Now, one of the things that takes place when when Sarah laughs, the Lord asks Abraham, why is Sarah laughing about this? And then he poses a question for Abraham. And he says this, and it wasn't just for his benefit, it was for hers too, Sarah's too. He says, he asked the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, folks, I would submit to you that that's a question that has to be continually addressed. 
and especially if something is delayed. Because when you first start off in faith, you first see that the word of God says that healing belongs to you or whatever blessing it is that you're claiming by faith. It's easy to get charged up in a service when you get inspired and the Holy Ghost is there and the presence of God is tangible and you feel the Spirit of God on the inside of you and He's speaking to your heart about things and taking hold of the Word. And It's easy to have faith then. I think that's one reason that some people go from meeting to meeting to meeting because their faith is inspired and they feel encouraged. And it's easy to be when we're all together and believe in God in unison. Or in unity. But you let things delay for a year or two or more. It's hard to conjure up that same feeling of encouragement. Well, at that point, you're going to have to deal with the issue. And that issue is, is anything too hard for God? Now, mentally, we'll answer that quickly and say, well, of course not. With God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible with God. That means nothing can be too hard for God. But specifically, where your situation is concerned and mine, we have to address this. Is my situation, is my circumstance, is the thing that the devil has has attacked me with, is that too hard for God to handle? Because if you don't keep that first and foremost in your thinking, you won't have a foundation for faith. There'll be empty confessions, empty words. The Bible says that one of the things that caused Abraham to be identified as strong in faith, two characteristics that we read in Romans 4, verse 20, 19 and 20. It said, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was yet a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, but was strong in faith. Two characteristics of strong faith. But was strong in faith. Number one, giving glory to God. He praised God for the answer. But the second one is just as important as the first one. We talk about the first one a lot. Not so much about the second one. He was strong in faith, giving glory to God, number one. And number two, and he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Well, when did Abraham get fully persuaded? He certainly wasn't fully persuaded a year before Isaac was born. When God talks to him about this child of promise and he talks to God about blessing Ishmael. Sarah certainly wasn't fully persuaded. Just a matter of a month or so before she conceived the child. So don't let that frighten you. Don't think that it takes forever and ever to get fully persuaded. It doesn't. But it does take effort. It does take the determination of your will. Now what about the second story we read? What about the woman with the issue of blood? Well, she's had this issue of blood for 12 years. Not only has it cost her her physical health and well-being, but it's cost her her finances. She spent everything she had on doctors to no avail. So now she's not only sick and getting sicker, Or I guess we should use the word weak rather than sick. Not only is this condition sapping her of strength day by day by day, but it's also robbed her of her financial well-being, her financial security. She has only one view of the future, 
and that is a worse day tomorrow than we had today. She has no hope. Medical science, which was the only way she, the only help that would be available to her, I guess, has given up on her, taken her money first and then given up on her. She's in a hopeless condition. Something is going to have to restore her hope if she's going to get any results whatsoever. What restored her hope? When she heard of Jesus. When she heard of Jesus. Now, in Abraham's case, Abraham's hope was restored when he remembered the promise. In other words, he didn't have any natural hope. He didn't have anything to look at in his physical body and say, oh, yeah, I can still have kids. What God said can really be true because my body can still function that way. So he had to, have, he had to find hope in some other way. Where did he find it? He found it in what God had told him. What about the woman with, your, with the issue of blood? God hadn't told her anything. We don't have any record that God ever spoke to her in any form whatsoever. Where's she going to find her hope? She found it in what she heard about Jesus. Now she must have heard that people were healed by touching him. Because that's what she had faith for. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. If she had heard that Jesus was healing the sick by baptizing them in water, she wouldn't have believed for her healing by touching his garment. She had only had foundation for faith to believe to be healed by the baptism of water. See, what you hear produces faith according to what you heard. Well, we know what she must have heard because what she put her faith in. She said, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. So she's heard of people either being healed by touching his clothes or healed by physical touch of, of him in some way or some manner whatsoever because that's what she put her faith in. But think of the, the, the hope that was generated in her life. She's in a situation where there is no hope from any source whatsoever. Tomorrow is not something to look forward to for her. But she heard something about Jesus healing the sick. So she said, she began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. I think what that means is, and I could be wrong about this, you interpret it or judge this for yourself. But I think she's saying, I've heard that people were healed through the laying on of hands. But if I can just get close enough to touch his clothes, I'll get it. If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. I think she's saying, if I can just get close close enough to him to touch his clothes, I don't need a personal audience. I don't need him to stop and strike his hand over my flesh or anything like that. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. Now, like I said, I could be wrong on that, but that's the way I've always read that. That's always that's the way I've always assumed that it was going. So what does she do? She slips up on Jesus. We have no record whatsoever that Jesus had any indication that she was coming, that God had spoken to her about, now tomorrow, when you're on your way to Jairus' house, there's going to be a woman. She's weak, so walk slow. We don't have any indication of anything. 
concerning Jesus or his awareness of her until she touches him in faith. And he feels something go out of him. She feels something go into her. So Jesus stops. He says, who touched me? The disciples are shocked at the question because everybody must be reaching out to grab a hold of him. Anybody that can is jostling for position to touch him. And so the disciples said, well, look at the multitude. You're asking us to find somebody that touched you out of this whole crowd that's trying to get to you? But Jesus knew somebody touched touched him in a different manner. He knew somebody touched him in faith. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. It could not have been the physical action of the touch that did it. Because there's a lot of other people that are touching him. It was the reason why she touched him that differentiated her from everybody else. It was the reason that she touched him. Everybody else is touching, having heard the same or similar stories that she's heard, but they didn't make it personal. They're reaching out to touch Jesus to see what's going to happen. She reaches out to touch Jesus because she believes something. And that belief was generated from the hope that came from whatever she heard about him. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now the third story, the last one we read, 1 Samuel chapter 30, is a different situation because it doesn't relate to healing or a physical fleshly condition. It relates to the plan of God for David's life. From the time that David was about 17 years old, maybe even younger than that, he's experienced something that uh, that he's had to keep quiet about for all these years. At the time 1 Samuel 30 takes place, he's about 30. So for the last 13 or 14 years or so, he's had to keep quiet about something that happened. and, And that secret was that Samuel the prophet came down to his house and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. Now, you know as well as I do that that's pretty heady stuff for a teenage boy. And I'm sure, no matter what age he was, that he was looking for that to happen by the end of next week, certainly by the end of the year. But 13 or 14 years have gone by. During that time, most of those years, he's been on the run from Saul, who recognizes that the hand of God is upon David. And so Saul's been trying to kill him. Now that's a good place for a lot of people to get bitter at God. God, I don't understand. Why are you letting these things happen to me? Here you told me I'd be the next king of Israel and now the present king of Israel is trying to kill me. You know he's in the wrong. I know he's in the wrong. Why don't you just take him out, God? Or even even better yet, give me the chance and I'll take him out. I'll clear the path so that, I, so that your will can be done in my life. But that's not what he does. For 13 or so years, David is working undercover as a guerrilla fighter in enemy territory. He has the ultimate undercover operation going on. Because the enemy kings in whose land he is 
and lives. Think that he's working against Israel and think that he's a traitor to Israel. But really what he's doing is working for Israel's best interest against the enemies of Israel. For almost 13 years. Now, as a result of doing the right thing, striking against the enemies of Israel, the Amalekites come to his city, his headquarters city, while he and his, the band of people that God has given him to operate undercover are out conducting a raid. He comes back and finds that his city is burned and everybody's family is taken. All their stuff is gone. All their sons and their daughters and the wives have been taken captive. And now, not only is he grieving about his, the loss of his own family into captivity, but the ones that God gave him, the ones that he's turned from a ragtag group of individuals that didn't have anything to say or show for their lives into what are referred to as David's mighty men. Now this group of mighty men, this group of soldiers, valiant men, strong men, now they want to kill David because they're grieved. So not only has David got a situation, pretty tough situation facing him, he's still responsible for leading these people, but now the people want to kill him on top of it. So what does David do? Well, that's the perfect place to run and hide, isn't it? That's the perfect place to turn tail and run. But David encourages himself in the Lord. In David's hopeless condition, hopeless situation, he encourages himself in the Lord. Now, what does he encourage himself about? Well, he remembers 13 or 14 years earlier that God said he'd be the next king of Israel. He encourages himself with something like, these people can't kill me because then I couldn't be who God said that I was. I can't be king if I'm dead. So even though they've turned against me, this is not the end of the road like it looks like. God still has a plan for my life. So what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. God says, go pursue him, and I'll give you back everything that was told him. So he does. He gathers these guys together who don't want to follow him. But he convinces them, let's go. We need to go take back who, what belongs to us. We need to go get your family back and mine. They go out against their enemies, defeat them, and bring back the spoil, and, and not one person has been hurt. Now, the... An important part of this story for me is that it's a matter of a few days before between this story and David becoming king of Israel. That tells me something about the way the devil works. The devil wants to throw his biggest attack at you just before your breakthrough. I wonder how many people have lost the thing that they were believing for all along because they got caught up in the major attack. David didn't do that. He remembered. What has God told me? I know what it looks like. 
I don't need help recognizing what's going on around me. But what did God tell me? Now, there are other stories we could add to this. We could add the story over in Matthew chapter 8 where the centurion sent word to Jesus that his servant was at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented of the devil. His hope's in a different thing. He says to Jesus, speak the word only and my servant will be healed because I understand how authority works. I've got people under me and I've got people over me. I understand how authority works. So speak the word only. His hope is in Jesus speaking the word concerning his servant's well-being. That's all he needs. Just say the word. What Jesus does and his servant is healed. His hope is in a word that had not yet come. So I guess we could say that not only is he hoping in the word... He's put his hope in the character of Jesus to speak it. We could also add to this story Matthew chapter 15, the story of the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter is grievously vexed of the devil. She comes to Jesus and says, O thou son of David, have mercy on me. Her faith, and therefore the foundation of her faith, her hope is in the mercy of God. And even where obstacles are thrown in front of her, Jesus ignores her first. That doesn't turn her away. Then Jesus says to her, I'm not sent to the Gentiles, just to the Jews at this point. That doesn't turn her away either. And even when Jesus refers to the Gentiles in the common phrase of being dogs, he says it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. She turns that around and pleads her case. She says, truth, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What's her hope in? Her hope is in that the mercy of God goes beyond ethnic boundaries. Jesus says to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you believed. Now there have been some things over the last that's going on six years now since I was attacked with this thing. The doctors call it Parkinson's. I just call it the devil. But over these last six years, there have been several things that the Lord has spoken to me about along the way. Now, I don't know if God deals with everybody in the same way. That's beyond my ability to know. But one of the ways that God deals with me, or at least has dealt with me about this, is in the morning just as you're waking up. Brother Hagin used to call it that place between asleep and awake. I like that definition. Because you're not yet awake, but you're not still asleep. And there are things that the Lord has done with me through this. He's spoken to me half verses. In most cases, they were verses that I already knew. But he leaves it up to me to finish the verse. And in one case, to find the verse. The first thing that he said to me about this was in Psalm 103, verse 4, I believe it is. He said, who redeemeth thy life. Just as I woke up in the morning, I heard on the inside of me, who redeemeth thy life. Well, I knew that verse. I finished it out. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction and crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. Now, folks, among the countless 
And there's no way to count the number of scriptures I've confessed over this thing. There's no way to count the number of times I've thanked God because I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. There's no way to count the number of times that I've thanked God for the answer. But among those countless numbers of times where I've spoken to him, what the word of God says, when he's spoken to me, that's totally different. He told me, I'll redeem your life from destruction. That's worth a thousand me telling him what his word says. The next thing that he said, there have been three things specifically over six years, so it's not like it happened every day. The next thing that he said was over in Psalm 91, verse 14. Just as I was waking up in the morning, he said this. He said, because he has set his love upon me. Now, of the countless times that I've told God I loved him, the time that he told me that I, that I loved him, that he recognized that I did love him, that counts for everything for me. Well, the verse says this, because he has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. Because he has known my name, I'll set him on high. So here's God telling me, because I've set my love upon him, he'll deliver me. The last one was the strangest of the three. It's the most recent and the strangest. Because I didn't know where the verse was. And it was a little different because this time it came in dreams. I say dreams because there were two dreams back to back. And it was the same dream with only one difference. And that was one phrase that was said during the dream. In the first dream, the words that were spoken were, and I will lift the burden off his shoulder. The second dream, I dreamed exactly the same thing. And these things were just within a matter of moments of each other. And it was almost like I was awake while I was dreaming. I don't know how to explain that. But the second time, the wording was different. The first time is, I'll lift the burden off of his shoulder. The second time, it said, and take the yoke off of his neck. I didn't know where that was. I knew it was God, but I had no idea where it was. So I went to a search. didn't take me long to find it. And I found that I knew the last part of the verse that he didn't give me. It's Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. The last part of the verse is what Brother Hagin used to use all the time talking about the anointing of God. The verse reads this way, and I will take the burden off of his shoulder and I will lift the burden off of his shoulder and take the yoke from off his neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Folks, I'm not any different than you are. I may be called to do something different than you've been called to do. But I've got the same relationship with God as you. I've got the same responsibility to believe God's word as you do. I've got the same responsibility to develop my relationship with God just like you. I don't have a lock on anything. It's not because I'm a pastor that God gives me something extra. There's a difference in what I do for God because he's called me to pastor 
and just my personal relationship with him. And those are the things that I hold back, hold on to. Those are the things I go back to. When I'm having a bad day, those are the things I remember. They're anchors for me. They're literally anchors for my soul. You remember the New Testament, Paul said, in your patience, possess you your souls. Patience is not the easiest thing to maintain, is it? And the longer something delays, the harder it is to maintain your patience, in my experience. But patience is the thing that we're supposed to let have its perfect work. Because when patience has its perfect work, then we are perfected, completed, wanting or lacking nothing. In other words, when patience finishes its work, we receive that which we've been believing for. So patience is really the key. Maintaining your patience in the midst of difficulty. So when I'm having a bad day, I remember the things that God said to me and focus my mind on those things. When the symptoms are worse on one day than they were the day before, those are the things that I remember. When the doctor tells me something I don't want to hear, those are the things I hold on to because those are the things that God has spoken to my heart. Now, don't get me wrong. I confess daily that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes I'm healed. I confess daily that I am the healed of God by the blood of Jesus. But when things really, really get tough, when I'm, when I'm awake in the middle of the night and there's no voice there except the devil telling me what's not going to happen or how it's going to go, those are the things I hold on to. What the devil's telling me can't be true because God said, because I've set my love upon him, he'll deliver me. Because God said he would redeem my life from destruction. Because God said that he'd lift the burden off my shoulder and take the yoke off my neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. But folks, like I said, I'm not any different than you are. I don't have a right to something from God that you have, that you don't have. You can't make God speak to you, that's for sure. But one thing I've found I found the more you meditate on his word and the more you draw close to him in fellowship, the more open you become to whatever he says to your heart. Find those things and remember those things. Recall those things that God spoke to you, whether it's about your specific situation or his plan for your life, because those things will restore your hope. None of the stories that we read would have turned out the way they did if the individuals had not restored their hope in either something God said or something that they had heard from about God. It's the word of God that restores our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word restores our hope. Lord, we declare before heaven and earth and hell that we believe that there's nothing that's too hard for you. We believe you're working on our behalf now and always. We believe, Father, that because we've set our love upon you, you'll deliver us. 
because we've known your name, you'll set us on high. When we call upon you, you'll answer us. You'll be with us in trouble. You'll deliver us and you'll honor us. With long life, you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. We make our boast in you, Lord, not because the circumstances lend itself to the boast. We make our boast in you because we believe your word is true, that you cannot lie, and therefore your word cannot fail. So we declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We are the healed of God. We're not going to be healed someday. We're healed now by faith according to the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you're at work in our lives and in our bodies. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom to speak to us. I ask that you would speak to every person here that's in need to give them an anchor for their souls, just like you've given me. We love you, Father. You've been so faithful. We declare and we thank you that the word is working mightily in us now. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you. It's your plan to heal every person in this church. I thank you for developing each and every one of us in faith and in patience that we might take hold of that which you've provided. Thank you, Lord, for making it so. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Hope what we shared tonight was of some help. I'm not one to talk about my own situation, but I felt specifically instructed by the Holy Ghost to do it. So... God bless you. We love you. Have a great week.